Welcome to Games Beat Rewind. This week we'll be going over the best games of the year through a variety of categories. Today, it's the non-awards. This is Games Beat's chance to talk about the games and the things that happened that don't necessarily fit into other categories. Joining us today is myself, Jeffrey Grubb, Games Beat Managing Editor, Jason Wilson, Games Beat's Reviews Editor, Mike Minotti, Games Beat Writer and Reporter, Stephanie Chan, and Games Beat's PC Gaming Guest Post Editor, Rowan Kaiser. We're going to be with you all week, so be sure to check in every day for a new podcast and check GamesBeat.com for write-ups and more looking back at 2017. Hey you, yeah, you, the one trying to make a video game. I've got someone here that can help you, and that someone is Intel, which is not a someone, it's a company. But this company, they are going to help you as if they were a somebody and a someone and also a something. Check out software.intel.com slash gamedev to find out how Intel is making sure all the innovation in gaming continues to happen on the PC as part of the Intel Game Dev program. Again, that URL is software.intel.com slash gamedev. Sign up and start something new. Games Beat Decides podcast for the end of the year. We're doing the Game of Year a wrap up, Games Beat Rewind. I'm here with most of the crew. Uh, we'll, we'll be doing a bunch of episodes this week as we kind of get into the very end of the year here. Um, the, it'll feature different people each episode depending on who we can grab. Today, we're going to be going over mostly our non awards. These are awards that we just kind of do for, you know, to, to have a reason to discuss a lot of things that might not get brought up in other subjects, other more serious categories, I guess. Um, we're going to hop right in here pretty quickly uh, to kind of give you guys an idea of what this is going to be like. I guess I could just get started. Um, I have one here for, let's see. Uh, well, Dean's not here, so I'm, I, I wrote this one down. He was going to take it, but I'm, and he might still write this. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the Leap Pro number one Cuphead Gamer in the Universe Award goes to Dean Takahashi. Sponsored I, by Gillette Fusion. <laughs> uh, it, uh, okay, so the reason I would want to bring this up at all is just because uh, it felt like a really – Weird year for things blowing up on YouTube, more more or less. I guess is what I uh, I would be. That would be the subtext of this award. Um, it felt like the loot box thing came to a head because of YouTube. It felt like our Cuphead thing, you know, really blew up because people jumped on it on YouTube. Um, and, and yeah, and, and while Dean is like our number one Cuphead pro gamer, it was such a like a minuscule thing that he did. That it's so it's kind of, it's hard to recognize or you know you know reconcile that with what it turned into. Well, we need uh, we need the you know short pithy fifty word explanation of what happened. Yeah, let's kind of go over it. You're right. So Dean went to Gamescom in Germany, uh, and he was our only writer there. So he was playing some games that we got invited to, but you know PR say, hey, oh, you're going to be there. Uh, can you come play this? And we're like, well, I, Dean's going to be there. We'll we'll send him your way. Uh, and Dean went Microsoft's way to play Cuphead, which is that sort of excellent-looking uh, 
throwback retro style cartoon shooter. Uh, it's like a run and gun platformer. And Dean's not very good at those. Uh, no one really knows the history of Dean and where he comes from in terms of gaming. He's been writing about it for a long time, but who knows if he sometimes makes jokes that he doesn't know what Mega Man is uh, to piss, mostly to, to annoy Mike, but maybe it, there could be some truth there. And it felt like watching that video, there could be some truth there. Well, he, he was bad at it. It was let, very, let's he was very bad. It. Dean's favorite games are sh- strategy games and shooters. And I'd argue that he's probably the best at strategy games. Uh, he's an excellent Total War player, yeah. for example. Yeah, exactly. And those are, those are uh, it's a whole, an, an entirely different skill set. Uh, than what he was applying in Cuphead. So he got the video and he said it was worthless. And I actually told him, you got to go post that. It's like really funny. Uh, I want people to see how bad you are. It's uh, like, uh, that makes me happy. Uh, and then people caught on to it. And there was basically some reactionaries, neo-reactionaries that found it and decided to use this to further some weird uh, internet agendas that I, it's still kind of hard to get my mind around. Um, and then, yeah, then, then it turned into this whole thing on, on YouTube. Um, I, I mean, what does this make you? Any of you guys think of? Does this kind of bring well, anything to mind for you, you? You say YouTube. I think Reddit has really been first. Right, that's you're right. where this stuff started getting a lot of traction. It's where that's really where the Battlefront thing really uh, went true. to a head. And now they're kind of picking on Destiny, and that's kind of been picking up a little traction now too, right? Where, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like these things that you know used to be like you know on message. Oh, people on the message boards are talking. You'd be like, oh, that you know that's cute, whatever. Now it's like, oh gosh, this is actually like a big deal. Exactly. I, I think um, it makes it so you can't ignore Reddit. I don't think anyone was necessarily ignoring it, but you can't, you can't let that community go without responding to it, uh, you know, head on. Uh, if you're a, a publisher, if you're like, if you're EA or if you're, um, you know, Microsoft or whoever, uh, now Bungie, like Bungie changed their, their plans because of what was happening mostly on Reddit. You're right. Um, uh, that, that they were going to do a big stream about their next uh, content, which actually just came out. And they had to step back because people were discovering weird things about the progression. Uh, they felt they were being like lied to and misled. And as these things tend to, they're always framed as like a consumer revolt or consumer advocacy. Um, and I, it rarely ever feels like that truly or honestly. So it, it, in the end, it just feels like no matter what though, no matter what, like if they're doing it in bad faith or not, you have to do something about it. You can't let it get out of hand because if they can do it to Dean over Cuphead, which is just such a nothing, a nothing thing. It was never an actual problem in any way, uh, but they turned it into one of the biggest problems of the year. It really felt like at the time, if they could do it to that, they could do it to anything. And maybe sometimes there is something really there that, you no, know, there's a problem. The EA thing with Battlefront 2, that was a real problem. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you, you, you can't ignore it. That's how it feels. I don't know, man. We might have ruined Cuphead. That poor game, it came out and no one cared about it. That's right. Yeah, I, I haven't heard anyone mention it one iota ever since. Well, I, I, I think it, you know, I'm not sure if it hurt Cuphead, but, you know, Cuphead came out at a pretty competitive time of the year in the first place. No. We're being sarcastic, Jason. Cuphead, I think Cuphead actually sold really well, apparently. We're being very sarcastic. Cuphead's a big oh, success. Well, I can't tell your sarcasm. Yeah, we're, we're, we're from the Midwest. It's very different over there. Yes, apparently so. <laughs> um, we, can, we can move on to the next award. Does anyone want to step forward with one? Anyone have one ready to go? I do. Lay it on us. So uh, I'm going to give this one to what I feel is the best. So so the best D&D game that was a D&D this year. And for me, that's Etrian Odyssey 5. Um, 
And, and I have some love of Etrian Odyssey ever since I played the first one way back in the late 2000s when it came out on the DS. And for me, what really grabbed me is the mapping. But the other thing I love about it, too, is how in order to survive the mega dungeon that is Etrian Odyssey, as you go lower and lower and lower into the different layers and stratas of the game, is you, you need to go in with different party makeup. So you might take in... And this is for two reasons. One is to collect as many materials as you can to help build up better weapons and better items and better armor in the store because that's how you get stuff is by selling materials that the store owner then crafts into weapons. But um, also just because you come across different monsters and sometimes you need a different party build than what you have. And that reminds me so much of old school, not just old school Dungeons and Dragons, but, you know, some more old school dungeon exploring games such as Wizardry or such as uh, The Bard's Tale, where sometimes you might want to tinker with your party lineup in order to go out and get the most out of the group you're sending. Uh, the other thing that I really kind of cherish about Etrian Odyssey 5 is, for me, it came out at, came at a very opportune time. Uh, I started was playing the review build at the same time as the fire started in Northern California. Now I was 75 miles away from those fires, but my mother and my brother were right in the middle of it. In fact, my mother's house, uh, if it wasn't for the school across the street with its big empty field, the fire would have burned it probably burned through her part of the neighborhood too, but it did it. She was spared. And, Instead of going to stress eating, which is how I normally would handle such things, I just picked up a tree Odyssey and kept playing it. So for me, it helped me keep up with my weight loss goals. And instead of eating, I just played Etrian Odyssey 5, which helped me a great deal this year. So it's kind of a two for one there. It feels like uh, you could say like the best D&D game. It's not D&D. It's like uh, most games are D&D games, though, it feels like these days, because so much has taken, uh, so many uh, games have taken elements of those, uh, you know, those t tabletop games and incorporated them. Um, what, what is it about Etrian Odyssey Five in particular that makes you, that reminds you of D and D though? Well, it's kind of like what we were talking about with Dragon's Dogma last week. Is you know, you know, you don't you don't really get to explore the mega dungeon anymore. You're going off to different places. Um, but the fact that you're you're stuck in this one big dungeon that just gets deeper and deeper and deeper as you go, I really enjoyed that. And it sounded like Rowan had something to say. Yeah, um, it's Etrian Odyssey doesn't have as many generations between it and everything else. Uh, it basically goes D and D to Wizardry to Etrian Odyssey, uh, whereas you know, everything else is like six, seven generations right. of figuring out how to do things. So it's, it's very much a throwback feel, but it's, uh, I haven't played five. I played three and four. Um, I assume five is right in that, right in the same style. Yeah. It's uh, a, in fact, it, five feels more like what are, uh, the, the earlier ones to the later ones, because you're not sitting there going off and exploring these little set aside maps. They go to with an airship or something like that. Oh, that, that probably sounds better, even. Yeah, uh, it does. But yeah, it's it's uh, very much a throwback style that you only really seem to get anymore with the Japanese handhelds. Yeah. So, uh, I, I I have a soft spot for the series and would like to grab that one at some point. 
we, sh- we could probably move on to the next war real quick before we do. You played that on 3DS. Do you want the next one on, on Switch? Well, you couldn't do it on Switch. Yeah, because it has to be like they do use the, the both screens. I remember because, I because you use both screens in 3DS to make your own map with the pen. So it, it, it's either at a point where it continues on the 3DS as the 3DS goes into 2018, <coughs> which kind of astounds me if it goes into 2019, or. Um, they come up with some way to do it on the they're, switch they're going to come up with some way because i think the future for a lot of these franchises on the switch not the 3ds yeah. i think they know that they'll figure something out yeah i just not sure what that looks like um that they will have to evolve it i'm sure i, I bet that's the that's the real answer is they'll just they'll maybe do something a little bit different but here's the other thing too you know there's there's nothing wrong with a franchise that's had its time you know going off into the dust Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. But I, if it's, I don't know if it's so successful, or at least it seems like it has a, a dedicated audience. I, I would imagine. Yeah, it is. Where once it gets up to like you know five, I kind of just assume they're going to keep going. Good point. All right, let's uh, let's go to uh, another one here. Uh, Stephanie, do you have one? Yes, my I'm giving the award award to the most extra villain this year to Stefano Valentini from The Evil Within Two. Now, he was r- very real extra. quick though, do you, do you want? Yeah, do you want to define extra for Jason? Uh, it's just a lot. Yeah, I have no idea what that means, and something tells me it, it's going to be something Tumblr related. It's just his his hot topic hair, you know, and his like clothes and his yeah, art. A, a really lot of anime art. villains would be extra, Jason. Uh, is the Ur extra villain Sephiroth? I that might that. be the Ur extra villain, actually. Right. Does that help, Jason? <laughs> that helps me tremendously. That helps yeah. me tremendously. <laughs> uh, you kids, god damn it! <laughs> With our sarcasms and our hot topics, <laughs> you know I my my seven year old walked by a hot topic and wanted to go inside. He should. They got fun geeky stuff. I, that 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 story is genetically engineered to attract seven year olds. I think the first time I saw a hot topic, I was like fourteen. They had a Metroid shirt, and it was the first time I ever saw a video game shirt. Now it's like very normal. I used to go there for my Jonah Vasquez comics, like the Invader Zim, like plushies, and also the the Noodle Boy comics. We need to have the I was, best. I was, yeah. What's the best hot topic game of the year? Is that is that near Automata? Is is near Automata the hot topic oh, game of the year? Yeah, because you're basically. I thought playing... the hijack Stephanie's. Oh, sorry. No, no, no that's, <laughs> a, that's a good point. Like, it brings up another topic. I mean, you, if you basically play as like a anime pillow doll in that game, so yeah, like that that is your character. Like the entire game is one of those those pillow things you sleep with. So yeah, absolutely. I think, I think Bendy and the Ink Machine wins hot topic game of the year. Because all the kids love that, and it's just a huge cash grab. And like, I think they're actually making paraphernalia to put in Hot Topic for that game, even though it's, I think, only like three or four chapters have come out so far. What are you even talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the chat got really Poor quiet. Jason. Yeah, what is that game? I yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, I've never heard of this. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, it good. I don't get it on so Patreon. Bad. Yeah, it's funded on Patreon. It kind of has like this sepia tinted. Uh, old timey cartoon like Mickey Mouse on the the steamboat kind of aesthetic to it. It's like a horror game, but it's just mainly fetch quests, and they have a uh, Jack Septicai voices in it. You would oh, you would love it, Mike Steamboat Willie. Yeah, I I heard the two magic words, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a horror game, though. <gasps> Never mind. <laughs> the heck with that. All right. Oh, uh, Jeff, yeah, go, wait. Yeah, go ahead. Go what, ahead. Are we, what, are, what am I going to get to ask you about why do you hate Nier Automata? It's oh, yeah. Why do you hate there, Nier Automata? We're not. Oh, my God. We can't do it. This, what happened? Not this episode. What, 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 this I played it. Intervention. What do you mean what happened? Yeah. I played it. You were so excited to play. I thought you were going to like it like we do. Yeah, you were like, Mike, you're, you're like Jeff, you're, you're going to really like this game. You should play it. I'm well, like, okay. everyone does. All right, Mike, I, I believe you, and you were wrong. You're a liar. Uh, no, we are going to talk about that on a different. Like that's coming up. That's gonna, that's probably going to come up multiple times this week. So let's just hold back on that for now. Uh, each of it's you, not my each fault. of you, has a specific bad opinion about one of the games this year. Not Row. Row, it's fine. I, but everyone else. Yeah, I just, I just haven't played them. I just been playing strategy games all year. So that's that's, that's, that's the good way to get ex- that. You're excused. Yeah. yeah. All right, Row. Ro, yeah, next, why don't you kind of come in here with one of your topics? I believe you had a very specific one you wanted to bring up. Uh, well, actually, since uh, Mike mentioned the uh, letting things go into the dustbin of history or whatever, uh, I thought of a good one, which is the best and most ridiculous ongoing support, which is that Crusader Kings 2 has <laughs> okay, just yeah. got its 15th expansion. It had its 14th Woo! expansion earlier in the year. Uh, five years of DLC expansions, add-ons, uh unit packs, whatever, and uh, each of them keeps actually adding to the game decently. And it's it's sort of ridiculous at this point. I think there are a lot of people who are saying, you should just do Pursuit Games 3, but <laughs> this is working for Paradox, so I don't know. Uh, it's it's I, still a thing. I agree it's that it, it's, it's like the ridiculous word there is actually really important because it gets to a point where I own Crusader Kings 2. I've booted it up once because I'm like, I really want to like spend time with this. But then you start looking like uh, at all of the expansions you don't have installed, and then that is such a long list. And it's like, man, th- this is this is overwhelming, and it's like absurd at a point. I'm like, th- I'm not, I'm no, I'm just not going to. So it really is. It's, it's simultaneously the best and the most ridiculous. So yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. There there are some other games that kind of do this stuff, but this might be the most uh, insane example. Um, it's the I, most, it, it, you know, in a way, by supporting it like this, they've turned it into a live service. Except it's, I've, I've said they should do a subscription version because, uh, because of what Jeff's talking about. It gives you decision fatigue. Like you log in and you're like, I don't know what these things do. Do I need them? And you probably don't, but you might feel like you're missing it. Right. Yeah, and as soon know. as you get that stress, you're just like, no, I'll do something else. Especially with a game that has a difficult interface if you're trying to learn it, but. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I I can't imagine the player that jumps in after twelve expansions and uh, Crusader Kings. I mean, you you might find somebody, or they you know someone gets gifted it, or uh, uh, becomes press and wants to try it out or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's it's a thing where like there are people out there who are like here are the expansions you absolutely have to get, and you know you can find those lists on Reddit or whatever, uh, or you could just give it a go and be confused with the original version but it's it it's gotten a weird stack where each expansion also comes with like a free patch that does a lot of the cool stuff but not all of it um i love it so that's always that's always so smart yeah it's it's a nice thing to do it's just you know that adds even more complication to try and describe which ones you need and which ones you don't um and i know paradox people talk about trying to fix this but it hasn't really been done yet so uh we'll see if they they keep it up but 
Yeah, uh, uh, it, yeah. This sort of thing is always uh, you associate with like EverQuest, like oh, a new EverQuest expansion came out. But yeah, you know, those are MMOs, and that makes a certain amount of sense. People are they're paying a subscription. I think I think for that game still. Yeah. So yeah, of course they're going to come out with expansions. And but stuff. each of those is like an entirely new game, right? Um, when you get when you get a massive multiplayer role playing game, each expansion is basically here's the thing you're playing for the next eighteen months, right? Um, and this is a totally new zone. So in Crusader Kings, it's just piled on top of what already exists, right? Yeah, like the the two this year were uh, there was a small one called Jade Dragon, which basically adds China not as a part of the map, but as like something influencing the eastern part of the map. And then there was one called Monks and Mystics, which basically adds a bunch of demon worshippers and secret societies and magic weapons and crazy stuff like that. That the uh, that's that's the bigger one, but yeah, it, it basically adds a whole new role playing thing to it. it. Doesn't change the map or anything. It just says, okay, now you can worship Satan. Yay! Yay! <laughs> yeah, my, that's my, kind my of where Satan. that's kind of where the series lost me this time around. Yeah, it, it, it might have been oh, a bit excessive. Yeah, adding magic to a historical game is you know a little controversial. All right, well, we can uh, get into one. Mike, have you done one yet? If you have, I don't remember it. Oh, I have. No, I haven't done one yet because you ignore me. Cause yeah, it was, I, I wasn't sure. I can't remember if you do. If you don't, you're very forgettable. So I'll give you a chance right now. Mike. Fair enough. Go for it. All right, here we go. My favorite, maybe DLC, maybe sequel, I don't know what it is of the year, was Uncharted The Lost Legacy, which was, uh, you know, I'm a big Uncharted fan. I really like those games. And The Lost Legacy was, was really uh, fun. It was... It did a good job of kind of like mixing things up just the right amount where it was still Uncharted, but you had the different characters. You had uh, Chloe and Nadine, these uh, these two kind of uh, females kind of going at it together uh, as opposed to Nathan Drake. And you also had like this one section of the game that was like testing out more of an open world design with the Uncharted formula. And that kind of worked out cool. Again, just because it was a, a little bit different and fresh. And it really was surprising just how big the game was i mean it wasn't quite the size of a full uncharted game but it wasn't that far off either but it is weird because like it's weird status of not not really being a sequel it, plus like that whole thing where uncharted 4 had all this closure so it's like you play it and you're like ah oh, yes uncharted's done but that's okay it went on top and it's like oh wait no there's there's still a, a little bit more right here and and you like it but there is something strange about it in a way I, I think that's strange. I felt that strange uh, from fans who were like not sure whether or not to be excited for the game. And Sony tried to build it up like, hey, we got a new Uncharted this holiday. That's what's coming out. And then people would, people would turn around immediately and be like, Sony has no games coming out this holiday. Um, right. Yeah. That's, it's whole status. was kind of, and, it, and it was great. That's the weird right. thing. There's definitely nothing wrong with the game. It was super good. But it did seem to get like a little... I think because their plans for it were less ambitious at first, right? Like, if you got the season pass, which I forget how much it cost, but it was less than what the Lost Legacy ended up costing, it was way, yeah, you know, you got yourself a deal. Like, this was supposed to kind of just be fun little DLC for it and kind of, like, just sort of spun into a more standalone, bigger thing. Yeah, I, um, I, there, there's not a lot of other examples of something like that, I think, uh, and I wonder if that Wolfenstein maybe, but even yeah, that, like I, what, the the old blood, I guess there, there's some things like that. It yeah. is always weird when you have these stand like the the idea of standalone expansion is funny because a standalone expansion is just a game, right? <laughs> exactly. I don't. Uh, I I wonder if that's going to just go away. I wonder if they'll try to do something more like because 
it really is just semantics at that point because Far Cry Blood Blood Dragon or whatever Blood Dragon yeah I mean that was exactly the same thing right but it um, but they tr- Dishonor two Death of the Outsider right and they they, they, they they call that one a standalone expansion though right I can't remember right yeah yeah so it's like sometimes they call it that sometimes they don't and I wonder if like they if they see more of a return on investment or something, if they call it a standalone expansion or if they just actually push it out as something like Far Cry Blood Dragon, we're like, oh, no, this is just like its own thing. Um, well, it might, it, it might also be that uh, this is how companies are like reusing their engines instead of trying to make every new game the biggest, baddest new thing, which has done some pretty serious damage to basically the idea of, you know, games being a short little easily consumable thing uh so if companies are might be doing this more as a way to get more bang out of all the tech work that they have put into these engines i, I think that's absolutely right that they, they, making games is so expensive that you can't just make that one 60 sale uh you got to find a way to get a little bit more out of it and this seems to be a thing that people respond really well to i think most fans of these games come away saying, oh, I, yeah, I want more, uh, maybe, you know, story DLC, maybe, I don't know. But if you kind of make it a standalone thing where anyone could jump into the small thing, it, I don't know, to me it makes it f- feel more important, which is, I, I don't get why Uncharted actually didn't do, or didn't attract as, mu- as, mu- as much attention. I mean, it's, well, it's hard, I think it's still, so. it's it's hard to see that, by numbers, I don't know, I think it was successful, but just, it seems like in terms of buzz, That's what I mean, yeah. it kind of came and went, but yeah, it's hard to see. Right. Oh, Blood Dragon was awesome. That whole series peaked there very early. Yeah. I I, I definitely wish they would do some more <laughs> stuff with that. But I mean, they, what they ended up doing is, uh, is Far Cry Primal. And I think they just took the same idea and made it even bigger and made it whole stuff. Yeah, Far Cry probably wasn't nearly as good. Yeah, I mean, it's the same map. I mean, the same map as like Far Cry yeah. 4 or whatever. So, yeah, it's not a... It, it, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it was definitely the same idea as Far Cry Blood Dragon, but it wasn't it wasn't tiny. It wasn't positioned that way. They sold it as, a, as a, an entirely new sequel. So, um, But, okay, we, we were talking about how... The companies are trying to figure out ways to make money from these games that they're making and they're spending a lot of money on. Uh, Rowan, I think you have a topic that might touch on this in a a little bit of a, a, at least in terms of single player. um, And I'd like you to kind of take it away from there. Uh, I actually have not fully done that one. That one, that one's scheduled for something else. Okay. Yeah. No problem. I I want that for worst idea. And we're, we're, we're trying to do good. Okay. So yeah, you're Okay. Yeah. You're going to make that a trend. That's fair. Okay. That's a good point. All right. Fair enough. Um, these were, although these non awards don't necessarily have to be positive. They can be negative. Um, uh, I could think like, yeah, like here, like I want to, I want to give, uh, Anthony best or the worst opinion of, uh, 2017 for not liking Zelda breath of the wild, but pick on him while he's not here. (laughs) Now, now, why would you give him the worst opinion for that? Because he's not the only detractor. Well, of course, he's not literally the only one. <laughs> it's, him, but... it's him and Willie Clark. There's two. Yeah, great. <laughs> well, we'll get them both on, and you can get them both at the same time. Yeah, don't pick up poor Anthony. Oh, I'll pick up. Oh, he brought it upon himself. Yeah, he, Anthony can handle himself here. Um, and, and, and he revels in hating it, too, by the way. He loves it. <laughs> 
Wait, who, who who loves it? I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Anthony does. He revels. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh totally. Yeah. Yes, yeah. He loves being hated for his opinion for sure. Uh, but, but an example of a negative one that we can't talk about, uh, like the the how you screw how did you screw that up award going to Electronic Arts uh, for Star Wars Battlefront Two. Uh, I I don't know like how this happens. Uh, I guess I can. I guess I do at this point. Kind of get it. But you have this huge franchise that everyone says can't can't lose. Uh, you've already released the first game as sort of the foundation to kind of get the developers working on these games uh, revved up and used to the idea, giving them get, now they have more runway to work with with those that those same skill set that had already worked up, already built up. Um, so usually, what we see happen is these sequels come out and they do so much better. You know, Assassin's Creed Two or you know something along those lines. Uh, and the, I guess one of the ways you could screw it up is to make everyone on Earth mad at you for the way that you built your game. Um, I, I still kind of feel like, how did they not see this coming? Even if I, even if I'm starting to understand how this happened, how do you not avert away from the oncoming disaster? Um, I, and I guess the, the answer there is you just don't, you don't expect it to be as big as it was. We already touched, so touched on a little bit, Reddit turned it into a huge thing. It attracted the attention. I guess I can, I'm skipping ahead, but for people that aren't aware, Star Wars Battlefront 2 came out uh, uh, amid a, a torrent of outrage from fans who were very mad at its progression and its business model that enabled people to spend money on random boxes that could contain advantages for online competitive multiplayer. Um, that got the, the attraction, or that attracted attention from you know, lawmakers in Europe, uh, some state lawmakers in Hawaii, people are starting to say, Hey, this is gambling. We need to do something to regulate this. Um, and it, it's, it feels like at a point where it's like, okay, yeah, they've definitely soured people on star Wars battlefront too. Uh, it probably won't have a, a, a too large of an effect on star Wars as a whole, even if Disney was getting very upset with EA for doing whatever it was doing to cause this outrage. Uh, but it might be like at a point where it actually is, ruining you know quote unquote this business model for other developers uh it feels like this might go away yeah definitely definitely seems like everybody was watching right i mean you already are seeing people like uh you know we had the game awards bethesda kind of just like making videos straight up being like oh no single player games are good so you guess haha we're, we're the good guys here like a lot of people are now going to tout the fact like our game doesn't have loot boxes because because that's what you guys like right we're, we're good guys you know, pointing out for Bethesda, though, you got to remember that, you know, Pete Hines and his crew are very savvy communicators have been doing this for a very long time. They they, they know how to message. That's the thing. E- EA, maybe they're not savvy communicators, but they've been in this game, this whole, you know, publishing AAA games thing and having to deal with online communities long enough that they, they should know a little bit better to at least be able to launch their biggest game of the year and not have it be an absolute shit show. Well, remember that their big money maker is FIFA Ultimate Team, which is basically give us your money to gamble, like over and over, and that just prints money. It's nothing but like a billion dollars and straight up. I profit. guess the naivety comes from expecting people, like who are just kind of like Star Wars fans, to just be able to accept that model. Yeah. Especially uh, when they don't even ex- expect all FIFA fans to to accept that model because it, it's a right, specific the, mode inside too. FIFA, and it's not. Yeah, and. Um, I think people were complaining about like what the the next was there an MMA game coming out from U- EA that, that's doing something like yeah and like th- th- people were complaining but but it didn't get as much traction because it is the same thing where that stuff does have its own mode. If there was two Battlefront modes and one of them was this is where your pay to win stuff actually matters, 
it, it would be one thing, but you know, it, it was all just in the same thing. Yeah, uh, it, it, there, I think there's ways for them to pull this off, maybe uh, to have pay-to-win microtransactions. I, I'm still, I'm never going to engage with that. That's not for me. I'm, I've been surprised as I as I've looked into this to see that there are people who fully understand what they're doing in FIFA and like it because of that. Um, uh, I, you know, I just assume people are like, oh, I'm, I, I can't help myself with this mode. It's like addictive and my friends are playing so I'm, I want to keep playing uh, or at least people that would that realize how they are approaching this sort of thing where they're spending money to for a chance to win uh, but no there's people that are totally into into that model it does something for them I get it uh, to a certain point uh, it, it, it happened to me a little bit with PUBG so I, yeah I, I get it um, so yeah, the, but PUBG was all cosmetic correct yeah yeah but I mean I get the cha- I get the idea of tr- chasing something down and pl- I mean the, the the thing there is that like you can actually then take those items and then sell them on the steam store. So they almost have actual monetary value, even though you can't, you know, extract that cash and use it on other stuff. It just works on the steam store. Um, so that, that makes it almost even more like gambling. It's, you know, it feels almost exactly like that. Uh, but at the same time I was, you know, I was earning stuff while I was playing. So it kind of felt like, Oh, I'm, you know, they kind of gives more meaning to what I'm playing. Uh, the point is, the, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, the gambling thing and the cosmetic things are somewhat different. A lot of the big gamer outrage is about whether something is cosmetic or whether it actually helps you. Um, and, you know, I can understand getting mad at that, but I still feel like you you can get that gambling urge even in something like Overwatch, where everything yeah. is valueless and has no... Well, that's what I was, yeah, uh, I was absolutely getting that urge in no. cosmetics only PUBG. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a real thing. Right. Uh, I, I play card games, so you know that's that's a loot box. In fact, it's a very yeah. different you know it's very different. Some would say probably even more tempting and dangerous than a loot box from a shooter like Call of Duty or Battlefront Two. But I, you know, I, I've never felt like gambling. I usually buy one thing, game gold because you either do one or two things with them. But you know, I'm buying them. It's like okay, if I get the card I want, that's fine. If not, you know, then I'll craft the card I want. Um, but I don't sit there and I don't feel compelled to be buying them. But I understand that, you know, some people are and yeah, I, and, I think the and, thing is, and these things do kind of get to them. But my bigger thing with star Wars is God damn it. Why can't I just be playing against people? In my own goddamn rank. I'm tired of being a guy at like level three or level five and facing people who are level 20, you know, that's, I mean, that, the, I, I have, I'm starting to wonder if that's going to be a thing that people start to notice because this game really uh, accentuates that. I think it, like in Call of Duty, they do the same thing. Everyone sees each other's character rank, which is different than your matchmaking rank, which is the thing that actually matters because it's saying like how skillful you, skillful you are and, and how much uh, you know items you have to help you or whatever. Uh, they take all that in, in, into consideration when they're matchmaking you, but you don't get to see that number. So you do see like, oh, I, I only have these few things. And this other person is level 20. And when they kill you, they show you exactly what their loadout is with all their special cards. So it's built to make you feel like, oh, I, I want those things. I should go spend money. Um, so so with that frustration that you're expressing there, Jason, yeah, I think that, I think that is kind of the fundamental thing in terms of the, the pay-to-win element here. Um, I, yeah, you know, it could be part of that element. I, I'm not sure. All I know is, you know, I look at games like Hearthstone or... Uh, MOBAs where they have ranked play and you're playing against people of your rank. Now your MMR within that rank might be different, but you're still playing people of that rank. 
Okay, yeah, I don't. I, I think in like MOBAs, they they just show you your your MMR rank. I think, but uh, but the the point is here is that there's a way to do pay to win and to do microtransactions, or at least there was a way to do all the, these things, uh, cosmetic or actual, you know, affecting the gameplay. There's a way to do it. People were doing it. EA was doing it just fine. I think it was always clear to everyone that there was going to be a, a way that you could push this too far and cause a serious reaction. How EA didn't realize it was diving headfirst into that, that's the thing I don't get. And I think like how, that's the, when I say, how do you mess that up? I think more than anything, I think that's what I mean. Um, okay, let's let's move along. Uh, who else has one? Someone would jump Well, in? the other thing I want to bring up, too, oh, is ahead. with yeah. the communication that you get um, from... Yeah, from um, yeah, from EA. On you the, know, yeah. from EA. Yeah. I, I wonder if that comes to the fact that, you know, EA's publicly traded in such a big watch stock, and everything they say has to be filtered through the lens of what will the shareholders react to it. I think that's, I think that's a good point. I think that's... I mean... You know, but they're not the only publicly traded company making games, so we could compare them to some others. And yeah, I think that you see like Activision Blizzard is publicly traded, and they do a very good job of talking about their games. They just they go out there and they answer questions, or they say, "But we can't answer that." Uh, and I think EA's problem was some of their games. Yes, some of their games. Some of their games they do they're not as as great with. Uh, Overwatch is an example of where they are great. Um, so uh, EA's problem was that it. I think it got into a mode uh, over the last 10 years where they're like, every time we say something about a game, we end up paying for it in some other way with our fans, uh, with, with players. They'll use it against us when they're mad about something. I'll say, hey, you said this game was going to have this and it didn't, or you, you phrased it in this way and it's actually slightly different. Uh, so we should only ever talk about our games uh, in a very high-level way, and, we should, and the only reason we should ever talk about our games is if it can get us more sales. Um, I think they did that. I think they made that decision a long time ago. And I think you could see that pretty clearly in most of their communication about all of their products. Uh, the problem with that, and I, you know, I wrote about this, but the, the problem with that is once you go into a, into a situation where you are making people angry and it's a crisis and you're still trying to sell them, uh, you're going to find out that people don't want you to be calling like, you know, if you're flinging crap at them, don't call it chocolate cake. Uh, and if you do that, people are going to be very angry. And the Reddit post that, you know, the Reddit comment that EA made that got most of the attention uh, that was the most downvoted comment in Reddit history was an example of them surrounded by people who are angry at them and them saying, here's how what we did that you're angry about was actually good for you. And I don't know why you say that unless you're like, okay, we'll always be closing, always be making that sale. We have to be getting more pre-orders. Here's a chance. This is not a, a crisis. It's an opportunity to make a sale. And it's like no, EA really no, it really really isn't. It really isn't. You have to like handle this in a more deft way. And they just they don't have that skill set right now. I keep using that phrase, but yeah, that, that's just something they don't have at this moment. So yeah, uh, we we should move on though. We don't want to spend too much time on any one topic. Um, who else has one? Who else has no, one? Surprise me. Surprise. I have one that kind of drops off that I just remember. Please. Uh, the best and most, weirdest in retrospect, revamp was uh, Heroes of the Storm doing their Heroes 2.0 thing um, from April, March, early in the spring at some point. Uh, basically, they went to a loot box system and everyone loved it. Um, they, they had a... Uh, your characters gain levels faster, you get loot boxes for that. The loot boxes have the skins that you used to only be able to get by money. Um, and 
this did not seem to cause any kind of significant controversy. Like initially, there was a slight one where uh, people who have been playing for a long time weren't getting quite as weren't going to be quite as rewarded as people who were new. Uh, so they Blizzard added more uh, like initial. You've been playing a while loot boxes and everyone got to be showered with gifts when they logged in that first time um, which was uh, pretty neat and I think it ended up being um, not controversial for two key reasons but the first is that Heroes of the Storm's like cosmetic stuff was were they, those things were pretty expensive they were usually like 10 bucks um, and 5 on sale and then the opportunity to get that for free when you know you could could have just blown like $60 on something in a month. Uh, that was pretty nice. Uh, the second big thing is that every time you get a loot box in Heroes of the Storm, you have the opportunity to re-roll it for uh, in-game currency that you basically just earn by playing. Um, and so when you have that like feeling of agency over what's in those things. You can say, this one totally sucked and was a waste of my time. Let's see if it's a little less of a waste of my time when I, you know, spend 250 gold. And that tends to make it work really nicely. I think, I'm not sure I think exactly why. That might actually make it worse for gambling, right. but uh, uh, it's it's not something I have a problem with in the way that I have a problem with most other loot box games. I think uh, Rocket League is in a, is, does a lot of similar stuff, which is why, even though I think it, I, I haven't played Rocket League a ton since, um, even since the Switch version came out, not not since last year, mostly. Uh, it I believe they use keys, which is a thing that people hate. So you get the loot box, and you own the loot box, but to unlock it, you have to buy the key, which is, you could tell it's total loss aversion. You hate the idea of owning something that you can't actually have. Uh, it's a, a total psychiatric total trick. Psychiatric. But people mostly don't complain about the, uh, the loot box system in Rocket League, I think, because they give you these options to say, oh, if you get enough of the crap you don't like on this one tier, you could trade it in and go up to the next tier and get something from there. And I, I think it gives people a sense of, like, they are always building towards the thing they want even when they are getting that crap i think that's what helps um i think the other thing that helps for rocket league too is I, i've jumped into it and played it a little bit more since it came out on switch is that you don't even have to deal with that you just play the game as it is and it's fine yeah and it's a lot of fun yeah, yeah. I, but i mean I, the rolling point of this out like there is still something there where it's like even when it's cosmetic people are getting addicted to it at least as far as we know i think just real quick on that point i think i wouldn't be surprised if we find out in 10 15 years that publishers have all of the information and all the data they need to know that this is a seriously destructive addiction that a lot of people have um i just we got to get to a point where it's like that that information is either made public you know they're forced to make that information public or we get enough independent verification so we can figure out how to approach this in a realistic way. Is it bad if I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for people who are like throwing their money away on cosmetic loot boxes? Yeah, it's bad, Mike. You're a bad person. person. Yeah, because some people could have a compulsion disorder or some other um, you know, part of their makeup that can't, or they they know it's a problem, but they can't stop because of I think the point this, yeah. this happened to me with Overwatch, which I have to, which I had to give up because Overwatch does something that's really nasty, which has it all, all their good stuff um, time gated. So if you don't play for the three weeks of the event, you don't get the skin for your favorite character that you absolutely feel like you must have. So I would be, 
I mean, the, it wasn't a huge amount and I was able to stop, but I would be spending like 20 bucks to try to get skins when I would only play like 10, 13 matches during the event, which I was like, why am I doing this? Because I actually just want to get this shiny thing for a game that I might want to play more in the future. Why not just stop playing the game and then see how I feel when I actually do want to play it? Uh, but yeah, the the... There are various mechanisms that they use, and for me, the nastiest one is uh, time delays or time gates or what, however you want to say it. Um, and I think that a lot of this is not necessarily secret. Like, I'm sure you could go to a list of GDC talks or whatever and find how to hook and keep your whales uh, for all kinds of mobile games, and there's no reason that those is those exact psychological. Uh, uh, tricks wouldn't be something that major publishers would know about. Oh yeah, they keep they they know they want to ha- find the people who are going to spend ten thousand dollars, and whether you're actually doing that because you think that those people really love your game or because those people just have a lot of money and no willpower is, yeah, I, I'm not going to trust the major publishers with that. Uh, right making that sort of ethical decision. I, I think the, the the disconnect between where Rowan's at and where Mike's at, though, is that we just don't have enough of the, I guess you would call them human interest stories, but I mean, I, you know, the data that, that says this actually is happening on a level that is above uh, people getting frustrated and annoyed that they're spending a little bit more money than they wish they were on a game. Uh, it does happen. There are people who have spoken about this. It just... I just want to know if it's happening on like a societal a societal level, like where it's like this is a thing that is destroying families. It's something that people are dealing with in the shadows because they're ashamed and they're not coming out, and that's why you don't hear about it. Uh, or if it really is just like, if, if I wonder if it is possible that it's like no, most people are like you, Rowan, or like me. I stopped playing Hearthstone once I saw like oh, this treadmill goes on forever. This is an endless treadmill. Yeah. I have to get out now. And I'm like, you know, I still enjoyed the time I spent with it. I did. I'm sure I spent like more than 200 maybe $300 on it. Okay. I, I had a good time with it. I, you know, they did their tricks and it got me. I don't know if I necessarily resent that. Are most people like me or is almost everyone like us or is there, are there, is it like 10% that can't control themselves and are destroying their lives in a really, you know, serious way? I, I I'm not going to say that's not happening. I really don't know. And I, I don't know. That would be the thing we have to figure out. And I think that's where we kind of go from here uh, with, with on that specific topic. Um, Jason, is your family destroyed by Hearthstone? No, um, but you know, sure. I, I buy packs with the expansion. Expansion, that's it. Now, my fa- I wouldn't say my family isn't destroyed, but my wife is very disgruntled with the way that I uh, buy uh, ships for X-wing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if that's you what know, it comes she, to for most she, of these. She wishes. She wishes I didn't buy as many, but at the same time. You know, I really enjoy the game, and it's going to be something that I'll be playing with my kids for years. However, you know, I spent a lot of money on those ships over the years. Um, let's see. Uh, we got, a, I think, a few more from a, a couple of us. Uh, Stephanie or Mike, either of you have one? I can go, sure. Uh, I, I guess the way I want to phrase this, my, my favorite game that no one else seems to remember or talk about or maybe even care about. Mega Man. Uh, yeah, uh, everyone cares about Mega Man, Jason. <laughs> Obviously, not that. 
No, no, uh, Gravity Rush 2. And I felt very much the same way about the first Gravity Rush. Even the first Gravity Rush actually seemed like it got it more attention than Gravity Rush 2 did. Maybe because it was like the novelty, like, wow, this came Wait, you know switch. what it is, Mike? Is that, y- y- is that you, yeah. I think you already felt like you lost the, fought, the fight with the first game with Gravity Rush. So the person that was talking about Gravity Rush 1, you, wasn't talking about Gravity Rush 2 this year. Because you're like, oh, people don't even care. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> it's weird because I played it and I loved it. I know. Oh, yeah, I remember. This is great. It was it was it was bigger scale than the first one. It was on PlayStation Four. It looked really nice. It was very pretty. Incredible music. And I just I'm not quite sure what factor it is. It can't be that it's weebish. <laughs> yeah, people like yeah, the for weeb- sure. people love yeah. their automata, and it's as weeb as it could get. People love Persona Five, super weeb. Uh, you know, I, I'm among them. I don't know if it's because the first game was on the Vita, and it was just that made it so inaccessible to the point where. Even a sequel is just not going to get talked about that much. Even though they 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 did re they did release the first one on PlayStation Four, but it was kind of a little late, maybe a little too late. So yeah, I, I just don't know what it is. And even when people do play the game, they just don't seem to quite get it as much as I do. To me, it's like the most incredible thing. Like wow, an actual open world game where you can fly and manipulate gravity. This stuff is amazing. And like anything I ever play, and other people play, it and they're like, yeah, but like the, this is the. the Floating feels awkward sometimes. I'm like, Bingo! It? Okay. I had a hard time. <laughs> I, say, I don't get that. I don't get that at all. Well, because you are a guy who plays platformers, and the games that I turn to aren't platformers. They're mostly RPGs or strategy games. Those are my go-tos. And then I might play some shooters that have very limited jumping well, after that. I'm not good with these action games. I've never been good with these action games. Okay, see, I get that, and I get why you don't yeah. like Gravity Rush 2. I still don't understand how it didn't find an audience among the people who do like, well, you know, platformy. You'll see like lists of like all the platforming games. Like, oh, look at all the platforming games that are coming out this year, and how great that is, and these open world games where you could just jump around and do whatever. And actually, Gravity Rush 2 is like never on those lists. So, yeah, and I don't even know if that's maybe maybe part of it is genre identifying. Because I don't even know yeah, if that. If platformer is what yeah, I would just, call it, it. Yeah, it fits into but, a weird place. I think people just don't know if they'll like it, and so no one really tries it. And I think part of it is like open world games these days very much follow the Far Cry or the Assassin's Creed formula, right? Uh, even even Breath of the Wild was a little bit of that uh, stuff. We don't have those kind of crackdown-esque superhero open world games very much anymore. Maybe people don't even really know what to make of them when they see them. Stephanie, do you have any other uh, awards you want to give out? Um, I have the best use of a Futuro 128K plus two computer system, which is a made up computer system <laughs> in no code studios stories untold, uh, which I really liked. It's like this, um, collection of four interactive fiction games, but it's like in a 3d environment with interactive fiction elements to it. So the first one is, uh, the house abandoned, which I think is the best one that they made in 48 hours for a game jam. And you're basically in a room on a computer playing an interactive fiction game, sort of like Zork or like, Mm -hmm. you know, one of those old games where you go west, go north. And then uh, stuff starts happening around you in the room. And I just think it's like super great. It's really creepy, not really scary, but, you know, it kind of has a lot of the atmosphere. And I just think you don't see as many studios uh, focusing on interactive fiction, text-based fiction that often in games. And I think it's really awesome that they're doing that. Uh, two things. I love any game that has like an old computer system inside of it. Um, even that that new. That's why I liked her story. I think just because it's yeah. kind of like that. 
Oh, her story was Yeah, just terrific. any game where you're yeah. interfacing with like a, a, an archaic computer system. I love that. Like even that uh, new uh, Fr- Five Night at Freddy's game, the free one on Steam. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of that, yeah, a lot of that you're just using like an old computer. It's, it's cool. Uh, the other thing, I, I realized that like, like there, uh, there's a huge gap actually between my generation of gamers and like some, like some slightly younger people like you, Stephanie, because you're like one of those old games like Zork. And I'm like, I would never call any game like just one of those old games. I'm like, yeah, the retro. It's, a, you know, it's slightly older, but it's, just, it's right there. I'm like, no, just one of those old games. I'm like, oh, man, I'm getting old. Uh. Those old games like chess <laughs> or go. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's it's in that category already. Yeah, something that a monk played in a monastery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I uh, I'm actually looking up pictures of stories untold. It, yeah, it looks exactly what I want. The uh, the monochrome screens and things like that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, it's got a Stranger Things vibe too. Like the opening sequence is very Stranger Things. Um, all four of the chapters have that kind of retro vibe to it. It's just like really, it's a, it's a blast. All right. I'm going to jump into a, well, I'm going to jump in here with one of mine. Uh, the games beat non-award for worst Nintendo eShop music ever goes to the switch uh, because it's music is, is zero. It is. <laughs> You're still really hung, it, up, on hung up is, is the wrong word. I just, I really dislike it. I, I, okay. The thing is, is that I really love the eShop music. Nintendo does like menu mu- music better than anyone. Um, like you can like we can like probably re- recall like the Wii eShop music like ev- like everyone has those songs in their head all the time. You, you see, this is the disconnect maybe because I I do not. I, I'm sure they were good, but I don't remember them quite as fun. Here's the thing: I download everything in the background and I walk away. So I yeah, but when you're browsing the store and looking at it and like the it's just silent and empty and awful. It's the worst. Yeah, yeah I used to be doing that on like my 3DS while I'm like turning the volume down because I'm like watching something else. And you guys, yeah, you're worst. like the first person. <laughs> you're like the first person I've ever known to care about this, you, Jeff. You, <laughs> you lay it on. You, you, you need to follow Jeff. better people on Twitter because I am just, not alone. Jeff, you're you're not alone. I am not alone. Jeff, your not award is stupid. <laughs> exactly. That. Yeah, you're, this award sucks, and you're lo- all alone on this, and you will die alone, Jeff. All right, all right, we can move on, I guess. No, I, I'm mad about this. <laughs> no, no. I, okay, I, I will be very upset I, if, if it, it never gets music. That's how I feel about it. I'm still... I mean, at this I know, point, I think you're right. Like, I, think they got I think it probably won't ever get music. Yeah, but I, I mean... Think, I think we better get used to it. Better better turn Spotify on or something. We'll find you a mini file of the Wii Shop music <laughs> or whatever it is you like. I'll hack my Switch to do it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. homebrew it. Speaking I mean, of... Be good, you know, be good this is a conversation sources. for the other time, but we should really look and see what the hacking culture of the Switch is. It's getting there, as far as I understand. Oh, Jeff knows. Jeff's deep in it, probably because he's right, hacking yeah. himself. He don't, is the hack source. Putting the Wii... Right, you will hear you. <laughs> Sorry, Steph, what? Putting the Wii eShop music in is going to break through <laughs> everything and just do that one thing. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, you know, this is Nintendo's most successful console in... You know, for a long time, and here you are complaining about the Wii Shop music. Yeah, you should be complaining about their awful uh, multiplayer app. Which did that ever come up again? Was God. that basically just for Splatoon Two? Are they no? We, we need to come up with an award for that right now. What is the what is the award for the Nintendo app? They even even Nintendo can screw something up in 2017. Award. Man, it's got to be worse than that because that thing was such a nightmare. I hate it so much. Like, yes, it is uh, like the gaming's waking nightmare of 2017 award because. 
how how is that like how did that thing come out in its in the shape it did? So it was this app that you had to use to communicate with people in like Splatoon two and other multiplayer games, um, and you had to use it on your phone. There was no way to do this directly on the Switch, and if you used your phone, you had to keep it open, like you had to keep the app open. I think they've updated it so it can work in the background now, but that that was like months later. It took them months to fix that. So. She gave it the connection is impossible in a modern society. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, yeah, the, the actual you will die alone award. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That thing was a nightmare and I hated it so much. Um, not as much as I hate not having eShop th- music though, Mike. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, obviously. Um, I think we got time for maybe one or two more. So uh, does anyone have uh, one that they really want to get out there before we close things up? Yeah, I could. Uh, I just remembered. uh Cosmic Star Heroine came out this year and did not get as much attention as it probably should have. Uh, I, I can't figure out the best award name, so you you clever people can Absolutely. help me with that. But uh, people best been game try- that Rowan wanted to give special extra mention to. Award. <laughs> yes, uh, people have been trying to crack the uh, 16-bit JRPG throwback for a while. I think we've we've sort of cracked the uh, how to make a classic-looking PC game. We got Torment this year, which was quite good. Um, And we've got a bunch of those, uh, Divinity Original Sin and Pillars of Eternity and Wasteland 2 and all those like people are people are getting their uh, their old western 90s RPGs uh, but they haven't really been getting their 90s JRPGs that like you know have the right tinge of the modern and the uh, and the classic um, like something like um, uh, I Am Setsuna which came out last year uh, just totally whiffed on that it was it was supposedly like the new Chrono Trigger and it took everything that might have made a Chrono Trigger like game interesting and got rid of it uh, but then uh, Cosmic Star Heroine is a very deliberate throwback to 90s JRPGs it's from a small western studio instead of a giant like Square and it's really really good it gives you those uh, Chrono Trigger and Fantasy Star 4 vibes uh, it's uh got exactly the right sort of music and look and pacing especially, which I think is the big thing. Those games tended to play a lot faster than maybe they did in people's memories. Um, There might have been a lot of grinding, but you have to do... uh, But the battles were fairly fast and you knew exactly what you were doing in a way that made made it feel snappy to play. And a lot of the throwback style games have always felt too slow to me. Um, And Cosmic Star Heroin gets this. The main thing that it adds is... Uh, the combat in it is uh, very kind of puzzly. You have to use like all your special moves in particular orders, and you can sort of figure out what a good plan for making those orders are. So, in that way, it is it is fairly different from just going and playing Chrono Trigger. But that also helps it feel like a a small self contained slice of JRPG throwback, as opposed to like this giant game that you have no idea if you actually want to play it or not. So I really like that game. What I managed to play of it, I didn't quite finish it, uh, but uh, it, I don't feel like it's gotten enough attention. It has. Are you at all up to? Oh, yeah, go ahead. It hasn't. It's a fun little game. I played some on PS4, not as much as Rowan, but I've really enjoyed it. Um, you know, you know, as much as I love Western RPGs, I, I, you know, I've always enjoyed Japanese games too. And even though I don't think um, Chrono Trigger is as great as everyone else does, uh, you know, I definitely oh, respect. I don't. 
I, I I got yelled by worst opinion twenty seventeen. Um, <laughs> blasphemers in this chat. Oh yeah, you should have heard. You should have heard what uh, Brenda Romero said. Um, you know what I really like is Zebold has a way they want to make games, and they just keep sticking to that model. Um, you all remember Cthulhu saves the world, the breath of death, the beginning. They're just taking these old models and updating oh, them. That's, that's from, you know, they just keep doing it more and more and more. And I'm really interested to see what happens when they, if um, they take on the um, 19, you know, the, the PlayStation style RPG. Um, I think we, there's a couple more that maybe we could just wrap up pretty quickly. Um, I wanted to bring up my last one here. Uh, Let's see, actually. Oh, yeah. The, the best tech that takes too much time to set up so I don't actually play at a ward goes to VR. Um, <laughs> no, v, this is the year VR, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely not. Hey, we, I, don't, I don't think we... I, I don't know if we did a prediction episode last year, uh, but I, I'm sure we did not predict that because I would not have said such a thing. Uh, no, yeah. probably not. But even still, even as low as my expectations probably were for VR this year... Probably still came in. Yeah, I think I, pe- I think people are trying to figure here. out exactly where the hell this is, and I, my understanding is most people are saying, "Okay, we're just gonna, we're in a holding pattern pattern until AR gets here, and then we'll just use that as the jumping point for both AR and VR," which makes sense. But just on a personal level, like having all these things um, and having them like right here, I could hook them up, hook them up whenever. It's just like. It's just too much work. It's just a little too much work. Uh, downstairs for the PSVR, I'd have to kind of get a chair set up like right in front of the TV. I'd have to make sure the PlayStation Eye camera is connected to the top and actually hooked up and looking in the right direction. Uh, and that's not a lot, right? But it is when you've worked a long day and you just want to you know, put something on or you just want to play a game and you have to figure out like, okay, is, am I going to be in the right environment for this where if I'm inside this VR helmet, my, you know, my wife's going to be fine if the baby cries and I don't hear. Is that going to be a thing? Um, and then, like, upstairs on the, on the PC, like, I have the Oculus Rift plugged in right now. And I think, if, if, not, if not both, uh, at least one of these sensors are, are plugged in. Um, you know, the other one could just be plugged in with USB. But just, I don't know, just something about getting it put on my head and making sure that the, the, the sound is going to, through the Rift earbuds, um, things like that. Just kind of every little step that they put in the way between you and playing VR is enough most of the time to make me say, nah, I'm, I'm just not going to. It, it really does gonna, ha- it has gonna have to become a standalone device before it really has much traction. Yeah, and I, I'm wa- I wonder if it has to do more. I think even if they go wireless, even if they go wireless, I think just the fact that if you have to give your whole attention to Yeah, the I think game, that's the thing. It's a little right. exhausting, you know, like you might want to check an email or do something or like my big fear. I don't like playing VR if my fiance isn't home because <laughs> I'm nervous about taking my headset off and then there's just like somebody there or like being <laughs> surprised. I just don't oh. like the idea of not having any situational awareness of what's happening around me. I need to just like, I, I need to like just fly over to your house now so that like wait for you to put VR heads on and to scare you. You can stand outside the sliding door. That's the other uh, thing is I have a sliding door yeah, right but here. Isn't that more, isn't, right isn't that Stephanie, not so much about being paranoid, but more like being, you know, just a woman in society. Oh well, yeah, I have a deep-seated fear. I found out that I'm a woman now, in society <laughs> now because that's VR the same fear I have sometimes when I'm in VR. I mean, I I would be scared of like stepping yeah, on totally, my cat. Yeah. yeah, my cat totally comes and she'll stand. She likes to stand right between my legs, 
you know, like right between my ankles. And it's just like a, it's a constant hazard. Well, you know, for the stories I've heard about your cats, Ron, you know, I'd be afraid of stepping on them too. Yeah, well, one of them, it would be, he would kill me. And the other one would, it would be unfair to him. (laughs) Um, <laughs> yes, this is the pure one. So these other awards that we should get to. Yeah, yeah, as well, these last ones. Um, actually, Rowan, real quick, what, what's best Halloween? Best Halloween was uh, Heat Signature, which is this nifty little uh, stealth spaceship game. Did a Halloween event where um, they uh, there's what you you like go and steal stuff from various spaceships, and these spaceships all have traits. One of the traits is called Skeleton Crew, which means they're only a few guards, and for Halloween, they made the skeleton oh, crews God, actually so all skeletons. I can't believe I didn't know that. Like, uh, I love that game, and I didn't touch it during that time. Yeah, it's... Uh, there's also, I think, where if your characters died during Halloween, they'd be ghosts and stuff. It's just, like, a cute little palette swap and a couple little... Uh, well, not palette swap, uh, model swap, and a couple little mechanics got changed, but it was a neat little, I think, like, three, four-day weekend event that was a really good way of saying... We're on Steam. We could do this. Let's have some That's fun. Awesome. Um, Anthony, uh, he's not here, but he put uh, the best physical game format that doesn't actually have the game on it goes to the Switch. Uh, Nintendo does this thing where they decide to use cartridges, which, you know, cards, I guess, is what they actually are, which makes uh, sense to a certain point. You don't want a motor running in a portal- portable system uh, like the motor for an optical disc. Uh, but some of the more, the large size cards are really expensive to manufacture, so Publishers have done everything they can to find ways to get around putting a like 32 gigabyte game on a 32 gigabyte card. Uh, Doom, for example, they'll sell you the, the, the single player game on the card, and it's like an eight gigabyte card, which is relatively cheap. Uh, but then the multiplayer mode will all be a download. You'll have to download it. You know that's online. That makes sense. But there's like other games. Um, I think uh, that the Take Two detective game, LA, LA Noir. Like that was like a huge download, no matter how you got it. If you downloaded it digitally, or if you got it, you know, a, as a card, you'd still have to download it. So, uh, yeah, now that, that's a pretty weird thing that they've done there. Uh, although, to be fair, uh, you can go to the store right now, I think tonight or tomorrow, and buy Player Unknown's Battlegrounds for the Xbox One, uh, and get the get the you know the actual uh, the container for the the disc, and you open it up, and it's just a code. Um, so the PC gaming thing is coming to consoles now. Um, I, I'm not sure if there's anything else here. Do we have uh, any other ones we want, we want to step on or, or you know, touch on real quick? I gotta go to the bathroom. Okay. That's my way of saying. I think that's. Uh, I think that's time to go go ahead and put a, a finer point on it. Uh, yeah, let's get out of here. Okay, let's let Mike go do his business. Um, real quick, let's start with you, Mike. Why don't you hey. tell people where they could find you, uh, and then we'll go, move on to everybody else. Find me in Jeff's basement, please help. I'm shut scared. Up, shut he up. Won't let me out. He only back in your hole, Michael. <laughs> uh, I, I am on, on Twitter as Tokoto. Uh, I also write for Gamesbeat. Uh, be sure to check me there. I also do the Exploding Barrel podcast every week with my brother. So check out ebpodcast.com for that. Jason? You're muted. Jason, you're muted. I am muted. That's what I get for trying to, you know, do work. Um, I am Jason underscore Wilson on Twitter, all lowercase. And where today you can see me talking with some folks about ranking all the fight, the rebel fighters from Star Wars, because somebody wrote a really bad take about it today. You'll have to do that. You'll have, you'll have to uh, have repeat there. that same exact event uh, the last week of December, because no one's going to hear this until then. 
Well, <laughs> goddammit. Uh, Stephanie, how about you? Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SwayJuChan, which is S-W-E-I-J-U-C-H-A-N. And I also write the Indie Beat column every Thursday, so make sure to check that out for some new games. I didn't plug my column. I have a new column. <laughs> the, the Retro Beat every Tuesday. Or Wednesday. Wednesday. I write it on Tuesday. Yeah. Wednesday. Come check it out. Come check for it on See, Tuesday. That's why you should have had a beer before you started, bye. <laughs> no, beer help. And, uh, beer bro, helps. we haven't had you on before, so thanks for coming on, at least for the, the couple of Game of Year episodes. We should have you on some uh, other weeks during the year. Uh, but why don't you tell everybody where they could find you? Um, I am Rowan Kaiser, all one word on t- Twitter. Uh, and I have some Game of the Year things that I'm writing this week. Uh, for game speech and uh, I also podcast regularly at three moves ahead about strategy games and I am uh, Jeff Gro- the best strategy game podcast Easily. on the internet find them on Patreon I guess I haven't checked to see if you guys are still doing Patreon now that everything's happened okay yeah yeah check there's out a Patreon, Patreon. Um, I yeah, so and support it because it's a really good podcast. Uh, I'm Jeff Grubb on Twitter, uh, all one word, uh, on YouTube, youtube.com slash Jeffrey Grubb. Uh, some game videos there. I just posted some PUBG gameplay from when I streamed it on Mixer today. Um, we also are going to be doing PUBG Family Dinner. We'll be coming back, I think, maybe the last last Friday, maybe the first Friday of next year is, where I'm, is actually what I'm aiming for. Uh, that'll be at twitch.tv slash Jeff Grubb, so follow me there. Um, I think that's going to do it. So thank you, everyone. We're going to be back tomorrow with more Game of the Year awards. We'll be getting into the real topics then. Uh, For now, enjoy this and enjoy your holiday.